The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Stand with me, if you would, as we continue our message series, Habits of Grace. Throughout this series, we're studying Bible passages that deal with different sacred practices uh, that can help draw our hearts closer to Jesus. These sacred practices include things like Bible reading, prayer, fasting, meditation, and church involvement. And each of these sacred practices that we look at will help us to experience God's amazing grace in much more deeper and much more profound ways. As we've been saying, these sacred practices don't produce grace. They just help us experience God's amazing grace and His love in some fresh and new ways. And last week, we looked at the Bible and the importance of having the Bible in our lives. And we saw how when we go into our Bible reading, we must approach the Bible with the heart of faith, with the heart of expectation and anticipation that we are going to hear from God. And we saw that we must have faith. We also saw how when we read our Bibles, it's not just something that we need to check off a to-do list or do it because it's the right thing to do. We need to go to the Bible because in the Bible we get to spend time with Jesus. And we get to know Jesus. And we get to learn his heart. And we get to experience fellowship with him. And this morning, Pastor is going to come and kind of finish that message and help us understand some practical ways that we can make the Bible a daily part of our routine. The Bible says in Psalm 119, we're going to read verses 12 through 18. It said, Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy love. stop to think about it. Pages and pages of God, his thoughts, his words, his heart, right there, just a few inches away. I can carry it with me everywhere I go, read it whenever I want. When we open the Bible, what do we see? We see God himself in this book. We meet him here or we don't meet him, not with any hope of friendship. Reading the Bible is one of the most important things we can ever do. It's more valuable than anything we own, sweeter than anything we have ever eaten. It is literally more important than breathing. That's not always what we see and feel when we open our Bible. Our weak, tired, distracted eyes look, and all we see is a lifeless, boring portrait on the wall. But it's not a portrait. It's a window. It doesn't hang lifeless in an old frame on the wall. It breaks through the wall into another world, the real world the lasting world, the better world. And through this window shines a divine 
light that changes everything around us. We all know that the road to knowing God is not easy. Discipline and resolve are important, but they can carry you only so far. A few days, a week, maybe a month. For the long run, we need something stronger, more compelling than discipline and resolve. There are too many traps along the path, too many hurdles. At the root, the reason we don't read the Bible is that we don't want to read the Bible. We don't see joy, peace, and life when we see that leather binding on our shelf. We see a wall, not a window. The boring portrait, not the never-ending beauty beyond. So we put it off, leave it shut, and move on. We stay in bed and we miss the miracle. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, loves to speak light into hearts and minds. God wrote a book, and with his book, these words in front of us, he wakens our dead, bored souls he frees us from bondage to sin, from desires that rob us of life. He comforts the depressed, inspires the discouraged, guides the confused. He empowers us to make our lives count for his cause in the world. He satisfies us completely and forever with words, his words. I read my Bible tomorrow? Where else would I go? How else will I know Him? How else will I prepare myself to enjoy Him forever? Yes, I'll spend the rest of my life looking out of this window, watching, waiting for another sight of Him, another miracle, another glimpse of my God. Good morning, church. Welcome to Ambassador Baptist. So good to have each and every one of you here today. I'm here to remind you that God wrote a book. Uh, how many of you noticed uh, there was a little debate going on this week? Anybody catch that uh, earlier in the week? And there's a lot of people wondering who's going to win. You know, that's the big question right now. Who's going to win? Who's going to win? Can I just say this? God's going to win. He always has. He always will. God will win. And we can put our confidence in that. You say, how do you know? Uh, because God wrote a book and he told us so. And we can put our heart's confidence in that reality. So we're going to unpack this idea a little bit further. Uh, last week, we dove into the Word of God as a spiritual ritual, as a spiritual discipline. And so this week, we're going to get highly practical. And so for those of you who have not been in the faith for very long, I'm praying that this will be a message that will really just kind of, you know, put some feet to some of these ideas that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And I hope it will be a help 
and an encouragement. Our theme for this particular series has been this, and they'll throw it up on the screens, but uh, spiritual practices are not about getting God to love you more. Uh, There's an idea in church world that if I read my Bible and I pray and I I fast from food a lot and don't eat, that that those things will help God to love me more. And I'm here to say to you, based on the authority of the Word of God, spiritual disciplines don't uh, cause God to love you more. What they will do, these sacred practices, they will help you to love God more. And that's really the purpose of our life. Somebody might ask, man, if I, if I spend all these time studying the Word of God and memorizing the Word of God, uh, will, God will God like me more? Will He enjoy me more? No. He already likes you, loves you, enjoys you, adores you as much as He ever could. But what spiritual disciplines and sacred practice might do is cause you to enjoy God more. And that's really the purpose of our life. To get to a place where we can more readily experience the grace that God makes available to us. As we saw a couple of weeks ago, God's grace is like a raging waterfall. It is pouring out upon our life. His spiritual blessings, His grace and mercy are always flowing. The reality is though, sometimes you and I, we miss experiencing the grace that is freely made available to us. And so God's word reminds us that one way in which we can position our lives to experience more fully, to experience more profoundly, to enjoy more deeply the grace and relationship that we have with Christ is offering us the opportunity to join with him in some sacred practices. And so over the next few weeks, we're simply looking at several spiritual disciplines, sacred rituals that will cause our hearts and position our hearts to experience His grace more deeply and to enjoy our relationship with Jesus much more profoundly. And that really is the heart of this particular series here today. So this morning we're going to look at five Bible-centered habits. So everything we're going to talk about today is centered on the Word of God, and we're going to look at five Bible-centered habits that uh, we can cultivate in our lives that have the potential to stir up our love and our affection for Jesus as we do these things with a heart of faith. And we talked last week, as we approach the Word of God, it has to be done with faith. It has to be done with eyes looking for Christ to dwell with him and to experience and enjoy him. And so we're going to look at these five sacred habits today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter number 34, verse 16. We're going to look at these five habits that we pray will stir up our affection and love for Jesus. Isaiah 34 tells us this in verse number 16. Seek ye out of the book of the Lord, and it says this, and read. No one of these shall fail. God wrote a book. In this book, he gave us promises, and he declares on his divine authority that his word will not fail. And so the word of God, the Bible tells us, read it, which brings us here to our first uh, Bible-centered habit that we can look at, and that is simply this, Bible reading. 
On your way in, you should have received a service program, and on that service program, uh, you can follow along in the Bible study this morning. So if you're taking notes, point number one is simply Bible reading. Romans chapter number 15 and verse number four says this, whatsoever things were written were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. I want to remind you today that as we read the word of God and as we learn the word of God, as we uh, dive into the word of God, it does things in our heart. In this particular passage, it talks about the fact that it stirs up hope. There might be some people in here today, and as you turn on CNN, or you look at the polls, or you look at just the violence that is kind of spreading across our country, your heart can seem to grow in despair. What you need is a a, a revigoration of hope, and God says, that's what my word does. My word stirs up hope as you read it, as you learn it, as you study it. I will say this, the Bible says, open thou mine eyes, we read it a moment ago, that I might behold wondrous things out of thy word. My friend, anytime you open your Bible, I want to encourage you to ask the author, God, to open your heart. With a spirit of faith, a spirit of anticipation, and the spirit of expectancy, say, God, open thou mine eyes, open my heart that I can receive from your word. Now, it's interesting, but uh, to, take, to take a Bible and to read through it, it takes somewhere about 70 hours, the average reader at the average pace, about 70 hours to read the Word of God. Uh, from what I'm seeing in statistics, the average American now is spending more than 70 hours a month in front of a screen, whether that's Facebook, television, or internet, Uh, They are now spending more than that in a month. So here's what I'm trying to say. In the time that the average American spends in front of a screen, going through social media posts, watching ESPN, you know, kind of uh, whatever, spending time on the internet, the reality is in the same amount of time the average one of us in here spends in front of Netflix and all those kind of things, we're told that we could read through this entire Bible. And we have an opportunity, a gift in the Word of God. And one of the things that is encouraged is to read His Word. Now, I will say this. When we read the Word of God with a spirit of faith, this is huge. Uh, You can go through just, and we've all done this, where we've just gone through the Word of God, and I I can't believe I'm um, admitting this, but I will, just being transparent. I've, I've been reading through the Bible and then all of a sudden, my mind starts to drift, and I'm like, two chapters later? Have you ever been here before? And you're like, wow, I read two th- chapters of the Bible. I don't even know what happened. I don't even know what it said. I think we've all had moments where we've been there. That's not what we're talking about, all right? What we're talking about is a heart that is engaged, a spirit of anticipation, expectancy, and faith, really desiring to receive what God's Word has to say. And when we do that with a heart of faith, this habit of grace, this, this reading of the Word of God can stir up our heart's enjoyment for Jesus and the depth at which we experience God's grace. You see, you, every person in this room has access to the same amount of grace in Christ. But not every person in this room is experiencing that grace and enjoying that grace in quite the same way. And I find that the people who are enjoying Jesus the most and are experiencing the profound joy found in grace, 
are those people who are often spending regular time saturating their hearts and minds in reading the Word of God. So I ask you this question. Are you creating margin in your life to just read? God wrote a book, and He gives you an opportunity to enjoy it on a daily basis. Bible reading. Let's move forward. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter number 2 and verse number 15. If you want to turn there, 2 Timothy chapter number 2 and verse number 15 simply says this, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Here's the Bible says, rightly dividing the word of truth, which leads us to our next thought, our second habit that wisdom tells us we can appropriate into our lives that will stir up our affection and enjoyment of Jesus as well as help us to more deeply experience the grace made readily available to us. And that is simply this, Bible study. Bible study. You see, we read the Bible to get a high-end view of the big story of redemption. And we study the Bible for getting deeper and understanding the nuances of what God has done for us, what Christ has done in us, and what the Spirit of God wants to do through us. Uh, Acts chapter number 17 uh, gives us an interesting example. It says this, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? And they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were. And so we see here, we see a group of people who desperately desired not just to read, but to really absorb, to study, to go deep into the Word of God. And I want to encourage us as believers to be students of the Word. We live in a day and age where much of Christianity has become highly shallow. We read a verse, and I understand all of us have days where we're busy, but there used to be a day when even the average layperson, a non-clergy, had a heartbeat to deeply study and know the Word of God. So I know this is going to get a little intense for a moment. I want to share with you um, just a couple of study tools that I use that may or may not be a help to you. Uh, I'm not being dogmatic on what you have to do and how you have to study the Bible. I do not believe that Bible study is something that you want to get legalistic about how you go about doing it. My heart is not to tell you how to study the Bible. I do hope to encourage you to study it some way, somehow, and really dive deep into that a little bit. So let me share with you. I got a picture here. Um, I believe it's of uh, my office. If, for those of you who have not been in my office, I love to read. I, I am a, I, I'm just a, a I enjoy reading. I'm reading on a regular basis. I have several thousand books that I own. These are, this is part of my books uh, that are in the office. I have another library uh, at home. I'm just, I'm constantly trying to read. I read primarily, people ask me, so, well, what, what kind of books do you read and things? I'm, I will say this, I'm not a big fiction reader. I've, I've maybe read on, <laughs> probably fiction, I've probably read less fiction books uh, than are on my uh, hands. I just, I don't read a ton of fiction. I'm not against it. I think fiction's a wonderful, wonderful thing, but I I read a lot of nonfiction, specifically a lot of theology, and it constantly trying to saturate my heart and my mind in theology uh, on a regular basis, probably at least one book a week on theology, uh, on just the Word of God. It's a huge, huge, important part of my life, 
is just regular Bible study. And so as we're preparing sermons and things like that, reading's a part of this, and there are some resources that I've came across that may or may not be a help to you, and I want to share some of these resources with you here a little bit today. I'm not saying you have to go and get every book that's on my bookshelf. Uh, The reality is there's a few that uh, you can kind of pull out, and I'm going to explain a couple of them, and if any of them seem interesting, then we can kind of go from there. So, One of the most basics is something called a Strong's Concordance, an exhaustive concordance of the Bible, and uh, they might throw a picture of this uh, up on the screens or something. Uh, A Strong's Concordance basically takes every word in the scriptures, and it gives you the original language, whether that be in Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic, and then tells you how many times that particular word was used within the scriptures. And so I can look, as I study my Bible, I can find a word, go back to the original language, and then look to see every place in the scriptures in which that original Hebrew or Greek word was used in all of its other contexts as well. And so it really gives you an idea of all the different places in which a particular Greek Hebrew word is used. And it's kind of a concordance of sorts. And so you can kind of figure out, okay, help you more deeply understand a concept by looking at other places in the scripture in which that original word was used. And so if you don't have a strongest concordance, that might be a place to start off with a little bit there. Uh, Next we have a Vines Concordance. Uh, Basically, there's several concordances out there, uh, but this is a book that gives you kind of almost like a dictionary of sorts, but it's a a complete expository dictionary of Bible words. Uh, One of the dangers that we have, depending on how you move and navigate reading of the Word of God and studying the Word of God, there are sometimes we have ideas in our head based on the way we were raised or based on church backgrounds where certain words have a connotation in our own heads. They kind of have a sense and a feel to them in our own brains. And so we carry along these ideas with words and they have associations with them. And we don't realize that these associations were built because of the way our parents spoke or the churches we've been to. And all of a sudden we, we define certain ideas and certain words, and yet the reality is when you really go to it, our ideas of what those words mean have very little to do with the actual meaning that God was trying to put forth. And so a book like Avines can kind of help us get a little deeper understanding on how uh, these words actually play in. And so here's another one. There's a couple of good ones of these, but this has to do with hermeneutics. It's a word that I often use. Uh, There are several good hermeneutic guides. You say, what is hermeneutics? It's a big fancy word that simply means a philosophy of biblical interpretation. This is huge. Have you ever wondered why why there's so many different churches and they all claim to use the same Bible? Like, how does that even work? And they got so many different ideas. A lot of it has to do with their hermeneutical, philosophical approach, their their worldview, their lens in which they're looking through to interpret what they're seeing from the Word of God. The problem is they're They've got a Bible, which is great, but they they don't allow the Bible to inform how they interpret the Bible, okay? Not only is the Bible there for us to learn, we also have to allow the Bible to tell us how it is supposed to be interpreted. And so there are books that help us literally how to interpret the Word of God in a way that's healthy, in a way that's good. There's a great one that's out. It's called Gospel-Centered Hermeneutics. We talked about it last week. There are a lot of people who go through the Bible, and they don't see Jesus anywhere. They don't get a, a broad concept of how is Jesus in the Word of God? How does the Gospel, the, the, the Gospel, how does that apply to the after I am saved? I understand that I need Jesus in order to get to heaven, but once I'm already saved, how does the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus have 
implications on my life. And so a book like Gospel-Centered Hermeneutics will really help you see from the scriptures how to create a lens, a worldview that allows you to properly interpret the word of God. Uh, unfortunately, there is... There are, there are more individuals, there are, there are a lot of individuals who say, praise God, I believe in the word of God. That's wonderful. There are far less individuals who allow the word of God to tell them how to interpret the Bible. And, and I'm saying even in really good churches, good men, good pastors, friends of mine, struggle with this one. Because they claim, yeah, I'm all about the Bible, that's all wonderful. But then they have a hermeneutical philosophy that was not gleaned from the Bible. And so it causes the way they interpret the scriptures to kind of get off base on some different areas. So it's highly important that you have a strong hermeneutical lens in which you uh, view the Bible through. There are several good books. Zuck's book on that. Uh, There are several others that really will help you in your interpretation of scripture. Here's another one. And there's a lot of these. They call them Bible handbooks. Uh, Unger has one. Not this Unger. Uh, Another Unger. All right. And uh, we have uh, Unger has one, Erdman's has one, Holman's has one. Uh, Haley's is really interesting. If, if you're like, okay, I don't ever want to become like a pastor or like a missionary, but I, I'd like to just know a little, some fun things from the scriptures. Haley's Bible Handbook is kind of one that does that. It's really small. Uh, you can open up to whatever passage you're reading. It'll give you a brief, brief overview of the author of that book, when that book was written, the historical, cultural context of the times. And so it's not really a devotional as much as it just gives you a little bit of cultural, historical context and gives you a little bit of insight as to what was going on in those particular times. As modern Americans, if we're not careful, we will tend to have our modern cultural lens on as we read the scriptures that were written 2,000 years ago, and it is very, very easy to misinterpret the scriptures because we have a 2016 cultural lens glasses that we're wearing, and so we, intent, we, tr- we try to interpret this 2,000, some, some parts, 4,000-year-old book through our modern cultural lenses, and the reality is what we glean from it has nothing to do with what the original authors intended to communicate. And so something like this can just be a small help. It puts us in that frame of reference and that frame of, of mind. And, and I've heard good people misinterpret really basic passages of Scripture, not because they were being evil, They just didn't understand the cultural context of what was happening 2,000 years ago. The only frame of reference that they have is what's happening in their life in the year 2016. And so they extract meaning from the Bible based on what's happening in their life, not based on the context in which that particular passage was given two, three, four thousand years ago. And so something like a Haley's or an Unger's or an Erdman's. Uh, Bible handbook can be uh, somewhat helpful there. Uh, Another thing that is somewhat helpful, I don't know if I'm in the right order, guys, so I'm just going to kind of move through this, is uh, commentaries. Uh, Commentaries is individuals. This is James Vernon McGee. There are others. Matthew Henry uh, has commentaries. Uh, We could go to, uh, I mean, there's just, there's a bunch. You know, Phillips has some great commentaries, but here's basically they're Bible scholars who wrote out their ideas on the scripture, and so they would do that. Just so you know, you got to kind of wade through Bible commentaries with a grain of salt, all right? Um, For me, I don't spend tons of time in Bible commentaries. Uh, The reality is their thoughts, just like my thoughts, can be flawed. We're just humans, all right? This is just a human. But sometimes it gives some insight and Bible teachers who have spent lots of time in the Word of God trying to help you understand, giving you background and things. And so there are some commentaries that can give some general insight. 
uh, just be careful. I've had some friends I've talked to, and we'd be talking about the Bible, and they would say, yeah, 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 but, you know, uh, so-and-so says da-da-da, whether we're talking about, you know, James Vernon McGee, whether we're talking about Matthew Henry or, or, or you know, wh- whatever the case may be, John MacArthur, there's a ton, all these different, you know, people. The reality is, at the end of the day, uh, it's the Word of God that stands forth, but sometimes these commentaries can help us give us insight as to, okay, with some difficult passages and how we navigate through some of those types of things. And so it's basically uh, Bible teaching in the form of books, and so that can be somewhat helpful. Uh, here's one, Nelson's complete book of Bible maps and charts. Um, how many of you notice there are always these different places talked about in the scriptures and things, and uh, maps and places and w- where to go? Uh, sometimes this can just help kind of giving us an idea of the, of the cultural context. Oh, that's where that is. When, when he traveled from this city to this city, wow, they actually walked 24 miles in this time frame, and it can start to give you some idea of what actually is taking place when these stories are being told. Um, There are others as well. I I throw up a few study Bibles can be extremely helpful, and there are just several great different study Bibles that can help you. One of my favorites is the Holman Study Bible, and I think they, do we have a picture of this one, guys? And there's several different study Bibles that can just, as you go through them, uh, some of you, many of you uh, use, they would have, um, is there an, I don't I don't think this one's it, but that's all right. We'll get to that in just a moment. Yeah, here we go. Um, you know, some of you will use a chain reference study Bible. Let me talk about a few of these. Uh, chain reference is an interesting one because next to each verse in a Thompson chain reference, they will then have a number that correlates with every verse that helps you find every other verse particular theme in the scriptures. And so a Thompson Chain study Bible can be uh, very helpful. Some of you have a Schofield study Bible. Anybody here in here have a Schofield study Bible? A couple of you uh, raising your hands. You have a Schofield uh, study Bible. Those are with Schofield's notes. Just understand uh, God's words are inspired. Schofield's notes are not inspired. Uh, they'll help you a little bit as you go through the way. Uh, some of you have a John MacArthur study Bible. Uh, there's, there's just, uh, you know, little notes as you're moving through it. I personally really like a Holman study Bible. I like the uh, more the he, he spends more time focusing on the historical cultural understanding of it rather than trying to get into the nuances of necessarily uh, specific theology aspects of things. You'll notice I have one called a Knaves Topical Bible. This is an interesting study Bible to have. Uh, basically, it takes the entire scripture. And breaks it up by theme. So you can go and you can go to love and you can find every verse in the scriptures on the topic of love. Uh, you can go to the holiness of God and it takes every one of the verses on the holiness of God, puts it together and you can do an entire study on the holiness of God. And so that's uh, Nave's topical Bible. There's also a Bible called Reese's Chronological Bible. And Reese's Chronological Bible is very interesting because like the title says, it's chronological. Uh, some, of, some people don't realize this. I'm I'm interested in this. Uh, A lot of people think that the Bible is written in chronological order. Uh, The reality is it it is not. And and for new Christians, that'll confuse you a little bit because you think if you start on page one and you move your way through it, that it's going to all happen chronologically. Uh, The Bible was not collated chronologically. Uh, It is a fun thing every once in a while to take a Reese's Chronological Bible and literally read the Bible chronologically in the order in which it happened historically. And so if that would be of interest, that's another way in which you can kind of navigate the scriptures here. Uh, Go back to the picture. I want to see if there was 
any others. I don't have these in my notes. On the far right is the uh, Gospel Transformation uh, Bible. That's one that really helps you see the gospel and Christ literally in all of these different passages and in different letters. It, it kind of highlights portions of Scripture that are really trying to emphasize the person and work of Jesus all throughout the Scriptures. And so if you have a hard time kind of seeing Jesus in the Bible, this kind of just highlights all the places where uh, Jesus' life is just highlighted there. Um, there's others. I, I see the archaeological Bible. That one's really interesting because every time it mentions a city or every time it mentions a place, uh, it'll have pictures, historical findings, as far as archaeological findings uh, that kind of give a sense of uh, his, uh, kind of accuracy to what you're reading because it's not just a word on a page. Literally, they show you pictures of this is what it looked like and this is what the archaeologists have found in regards to these particular cities. And just several different study Bibles that can be of help and encouragement as you're trying to dive deep into the Word of God. Uh, another set is uh, systematic Schaefer's Systematic Theology. Um, basically, this just helps you understand the major doctrines of the Word of God. Uh, this set, I think they had a picture of it just a second ago, Andy, uh, but this set is four, and it basically takes all the primary major doctrines, the inerrancy of Scripture, you know, the deity of Christ. It takes uh, salvation by grace, all of the major themes of Scripture, and helps you just kind of unpack them, and Lewis Berry Schaefer's uh, works on that is very interesting there. Um, a lot of, with, with Google and stuff, there are a lot of great websites out there that can be of use as you're studying the Word of God. Uh, the Bible Gateway is a website that's helpful. Uh, we here at Ambassador has, have just made another uh, one helpful uh, called Right Now Media. Uh, how many of you, raise your hand if you're, if you're currently, you've got the Right Now Media and you're logged in. So I, I think it looks like about a third of you now have access to Right Now Media. Right now, media literally does all types of Bible studies that you can do just on a constant basis doing Bible studies with video. It has notes available with it. So if you have an iPhone, an iPad, or internet, you can have access to literally thousands of diff different Bible studies uh, via the internet, and they're highly uh, we're currently doing one on, at our Sunday evening gathering uh, called the Treasure Principle, and they've been really, really helpful. And so study is less just about reading and more just diving deep. I shared with you a dozen tools or so that can help you dive deep in your understanding, understanding your cultural context, and really kind of coming through the Word of God. Somebody once said it this way, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone whose life isn't. <laughs> I thought there was a little bit of truth to that. It's amazing as you allow your heart and soul to be saturated in the Word of God, how it really does make an impact in our heart and life. Now, I do need to caveat this for just a moment. This is very important if you get nothing else. People who study their Bibles aren't automatically more mature Christians. People who have a lot of Bible facts stored up in their head are not necessarily more mature Christians. Okay, just the fact, well, I read the Bible twice this year. I'm a, no, the fact that you just go through the ritual or the regimen of reading your Bible, that doesn't automatically mean like, oh, you get a check mark. you're a spiritual Christian, you read the Bible twice. This guy only read the Bible once. He's less spiritually mature. That's not, that's not the way it works. In fact, there are people who know the Bible incredibly well. Uh, they, on an academic, mental level, they've got all this graph, but because it's never saturated their heart, the reality is you can know a lot of Bible facts and still be highly spiritually immature. And so what we're trying to understand here is people who study their Bibles aren't automatically more mature Christians, but 
people who study their Bibles in general tend to be more spiritually mature. All right, and there's a big difference between the two, and I hope you catch the nuance of it. It is important to study your Bible. It's amazing that as you study your Bible with a spirit of faith, not so you can get all this knowledge so you can press your Bible study or so you can feel superior to somebody who doesn't read their Bible as much, but when you truly approach it with a heart of humility, with a spirit of faith, it's amazing how God will use Bible reading. He'll use Bible study to stir up your affections for Jesus. And you'll find yourself enjoying your Christian life more. Not because, you know, you're a great Christian, just because that's what the Word of God tends to do in the hearts and lives of people. And I want to say publicly as a pastor, I want to say thank you so much for being a type of church that allows their pastor to study the Word of God. And I know most churches want that for the pastor, but then so many other demands on them that they are not functionally and practically able to do it. And one of the things I really appreciate about our leadership here, our deacons, our staff, is you really allowed me to spend excessive amounts of time in the Word of God, in personal prayer, personal devotions. I want to say this to you, not, I'm not trying to toot my own horn or sound arrogant or proud, but I want you to know as your, as your pastor that my heart is for you and my heart is for the Word of God. My, my wife could, t- could tell you, on a, on a typical day, I'll spend anywhere between two and three hours simply in quiet time. Do it. I'm not talking about scripture study. I'm not talking about sermon development. I'm talking about just prayer and spending time in the Word, typically 120 to 180 minutes a day. Now, there would be days where that wouldn't always happen, but on a typical day, somewhere between two and three hours, just saturating my heart and mind in the Word of God. Once that's done, then I get another three or four hours uh, each morning, and this is one of the things I'm so thankful for with our uh, staff and things. I get another several hours just to work on that Sunday sermon, whether it's reading and studying, going through all this, getting context, understanding, moving through the Word of God, and so we can move through it. I was reading recently, the uh, Southern Baptist Convention just put out a statistic that said the average pastor now in America studies less than four hours a week for their sermon. And we kind of wonder why the state of the church is somewhat spiritually anemic. And I'm just, I want to say thank you to you guys, really, for being the type of church that gives me the margin to be able to give a major chunk of my life to what Acts chapter number 6 talks about. Uh, those of you who read Acts 6, 1 through 8, of course, there was a lot of needs in the church, and, and the, the deacons, were, they nominated deacon, why? So they could make way so their pastors could spend time reading in the Word and of prayer, and there wasn't a lot of expectations beyond that for their pastors as far as functional responsibility. Ambassador has always been a place that has allowed that, and as new people have come in, I, I'm thankful that you have given me the freedom to not necessarily have at every little event that everybody's putting on and every hospital time somebody's got this going on you've given me margin and freedom to really give myself to that which is most important and then in the fringes kind of fill it out with some of the other things that people tend to think is what a pastor's supposed to do and I'm, I'll say this I'm glad I get to you know go visit in the hospital and, and when I have the margin to do it I do that uh, I spent some time at the hospital this last week with Jay uh, two weeks ago and I, got, I was able to be there with him uh, at that moment and my heart is to do those things but I don't feel like it's my primary responsibility. 
Uh, I do believe it's important to visit people, and I want to do that. I don't believe it is my primary responsibility. Uh, I don't mind going and fellowshipping with different people over hospitality and going to connection group activities and spending time, I do, but that's not my responsibility as a pastor. I do that just because I, I, when I can, I want to hang out with you guys, you know, and things along those lines. My, my responsibility as a pastor is to spend time in prayer and in the Word, and I just want to thank you for really allowing me to do that. Now, I will say this. There is a, there is a flip side to this. You let a pastor spend too much time studying prayer in the Word, and your pastor might stop, start sounding different than a lot of the other pastors in town who are spending two hours a week and three hours a week. And so all of a sudden, what begins to happen is like, man, I've had people say, man, your approach to the Scriptures, you know, as you dive in and you're, you're really looking for Christ and make Jesus the focus, and it's all about Christ and, and these types of things. I, I go to other churches, and it's just practical, do this, do this, do this, do this, and do this, and all these other things. And why, why, why does it sound different here? Can I say this? Uh, I, I've had people say, it's, it's newfangled. You kind of have a newfangled approach to, you know, Bible interpretation. Can I, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to just put this on the bottom shelves. The uh, philosophy that we have of biblical preaching is very, it's, it's actually old, not new. If you go back to the Puritans, the ancient mystics, a lot of the old theologians of past times, their, their, their philosophy of preaching homiletics was not a list of to-dos that made the person the focus. It was always Jesus being the primary focus and finding Jesus in every passage of the Bible. What happened in the late 1800s, early 1900s was a movement called German rationalism. Some of you are familiar with it. It began to sweep through Europe into America, and there were massive theological debates happening in the early 1900s to the point that massive volumes of theological books had to be written to combat a lot of the German rationalism that was taking place. One of the implications of German rationalism coming into America is that the American church, because of the way we're wired, we're very much wired as independent type people. We like to think of ourselves as independent, self-made mans, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. You know, we can do it. We can make this thing happen. And so German rationalism found a very functional, practical root in American soil to the degree that preaching began began to become in the 1910s, 1920s, and 1930s very what they would call kind of uh, almost pipe pop psychology that is you know here's six tips for a better marriage and here's four tips you know to raise better children and and it would have the facade of biblical language written all over it but very very subtly what began to happen is jesus stopped being the focus of sermons no longer we'd be looking at jesus the author and finisher of faith but very subtly what began to happen is the focus of the sermon began to become us it was a very humanistic approach to Bible. Whatever you focus on, John Van Gelderen said a few weeks ago when he was with us, whatever you focus on is your dependence in the Christian life. And if every time you come to church and you're looking at what do I need to do here and what do I need to do here and how do I need to change this and how do I need to change that, you have made yourself the focus of the Bible. And when you make yourself the focus, you make yourself dependent on flesh to carry that thing out. And I'm going to say this, the best that that can produce is self-righteousness, arrogance, pride, an entitlement mentality, and a victimization standpoint. Uh, we, get, we feel victimized because, you know, God isn't doing for us. Look at all we're doing for him. We feel entitled. God owes me because I'm doing this for God. That has never historically been the focus of theological Christianity. The focus has historically been Jesus. So I come along and, man, praise the Lord, you guys are awesome. Let me read and let me study and let me dive into the Word and all of a sudden, and then we do. We take an approach of Scripture that is in 
our current American culture a tad unique. And as we said last week, while place for practical application, it can never be at the expense of making the primary focus the person of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. So I say this to help you understand as we're moving through our message, while there will be moments of practicality, I I am going to say this. My primary mission each week is to remind you afresh and anew of the finished work of Christ on your behalf and to stir that up within you, to inspire you, to help you see that it is finished. And as you look to Jesus as that finished work, all of a sudden grace begins to fill the soul. Grace begins to fill the life that changes your values and changes your motives and changes your world view and all of a sudden guess what starts to happen your behaviors begin to change too you say well pastor would be quicker if you just told everybody what to do it would be faster i promise you it would be i guarantee i know you're right it would not be as effective because our behavioral modification would be laced with pride and self-righteousness and arrogance and entitlement mentality and victim mentality, and so while on the surface everybody looks moral, the heart and soul of our church would be rancid because the focus is self. We're depending on self, and the outflow of self is self-righteousness, which Jesus Christ scourged on a regular basis. We have to maintain the focus of our messages, of our preaching, of our counseling, and the focal point has to always be Jesus. And so I want to say to you, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for giving me the time to read and the time to study and the time to saturate heart and mind and working through these thousands of volumes and just soaking in the word of God, not just reading what was written, you know, three years ago by Joel Osteen, but really going back and saying, okay, as we go to some of the the deeper words of Christ, what what does God's word have to say? What are a lot of, what were the Puritans? What were the ancient theologians? How were they understanding? How were the original apostles? How did they, how did Apostle Paul, how did he interpret the scripture? Uh, Last year, I spent a huge study and I began to study how the apostle Paul interpreted the scripture. Fascinating study. I think he should inform how we view the Bible. And it's a big thing. And so as we share what we share, I just don't want you to get this idea, oh, well, you know, it's kind of newfangled. I don't know what this. I, I, I hope to convey to you there's a method to some of the madness. <laughs> and the focal point is always going to be Jesus. And if that is something that you're uncomfortable as a person, I just to know that's what our church is about. First and foremost, Jesus is always going to be the focal point and what he's done in us and what he's doing for us and who he made us to be and what the spirit wants to do through us as we surrender to him is always going to be the, dr- the driving force of our homiletical philosophy here at Ambassador Baptist. And so it's so important. But let's keep moving on here. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. The Bible says this, For after that in the wisdom of God... The world by wisdom knew not God. Notice this. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believed. Which leads us to our third habit that we can stir up, kind of Bible habits, and that's Bible preaching. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.2, we read this last week, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them. 
There are people who are not being profited by the word of God. Why? Because their hearing was not mixed with faith in them that heard it. And so we just want to make sure as we're going to the word of God, God uses Bible preaching to stir up our affection for Christ. But you've got to be going to a church that emphasizes Christ. Or else all you're going to do is get stirred up with willpower and, and motivation and inspiration for what you can do. No, what we need to be stirred up with is what Christ can do and what Christ can accomplish. Uh, let's keep going. Joshua 1, verse number 8. The Bible says that this, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Notice this. But thou shalt meditate thereon day and night. Which leads us to our fourth habit of grace. And that is simply this, Bible meditation. There is a little bit of confusion because when you use the word meditation in the 21st century, people tend to get an idea that meditation is emptying your mind and hum, you know, and all that. The reality is Bible meditation is much different than that. Bible meditation is not emptying your mind. Bible meditation is actually filling your mind with the promises and the word of God. And so that's what's being talked about here. Psalms chapter number one, verse two says this. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he, here's the word, meditate day and night. Uh, another habit of grace that can stir up our affections for the things of Jesus and cause us to see Christ high and lifted up is meditating on him. Somebody once said, the more you meditate on the Bible, the more you'll tend to love the author. And so I will say this, don't let your urge to check Bible reading off your to-do list keep you from lingering over a text. I would hope that as you're reading the Word of God, that you really do take time to emotionally glory in what it is that you're reading. That you allow the, the, the living Word of God to come alive in your heart and soul and really glory in that which you're reading so we see bible reading bible study bible preaching bible medita uh, med meditation let me give you one more and we'll wrap this thing up bible says in psalms 119 verse 11 thy word have i hidden my heart that i might not sin against thee what i'm trying to do is give you some practical ways in which habits that center around the Bible will stir up your affections for Jesus and your ability to experience and enjoy the grace of God already made available to you in the person of Jesus Christ. And so one of these is Bible memorization. Bible memorization literally has the ability to renew your mind and influences how you interpret and experience the circumstances of life. And this is why Bible memorization is highly, highly important because it literally rewires your brain. You take the word of God, it's promises, you, you commit those things. You say, what about if I never actually memorize it? I will say this, the process of Bible memorization is even more important than the product of Bible memorization. Does that make sense? The process of putting it in your heart and mind, the process of focusing on it. Uh, we could talk about Bible memorization and the process of Bible memorization as almost like Bible meditation on steroids, if we could use that phrase. It's just, you're so fixated, so focused, so obsessed with it, that it literally is rewiring the very essence of your brain. Let me give you some more. Deuteronomy 6.6 6 says this, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. It goes on to say in 11 verse 18, Therefore shall ye lay up these my words, words in your heart and in your soul. Colossians chapter number three, verse number 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The only way it can get in you is if you put it there. And so Bible memorization is a 
great way to allow the word of Christ to dwell in you richly. And then Romans chapter number 12 literally talks about how through God's word we are transformed. Why? By the renewing of our minds. Uh, several years back, we were, uh, I was working with some folks and this particular gentleman had an incredible issue with addictions. And no matter how hard he tried with willpower to come over those addictions, he just couldn't do it. And finally, he got put on a regimen of just intense Bible study and Bible memorization. And literally, as he was memorizing massive amounts of God's word, what no 12-step program could do for him, what no amount of willpower could do for him, it was amazing how the renewing nature of biblical memorization, literally transforming his mind, was able to help him overcome addictions and challenges and obstacles that no amount of willpower was able to accomplish. Why? Because he was accessing the very power of the Word of God. Why? The Word of God is quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That is the power and capabilities of the Scriptures. It's a living book, and as we allow that living book to come in line with our living soul, it makes radical impact in the way we interpret the world around us, and therefore eventually respond to the world around us. I guarantee it, if you allow scripture memorization with a spirit of faith, expecting to meet with God with a heart of anticipation expectancy that God's going to use it to change some things in your life, I guarantee you, Bible memorization will literally rewire, renew your mind. It will change how you interpret all the trials, all the circumstances, all the difficulties around you. And because that has been changed, the way you then respond will be totally different as well. This is the power of the Word of God. God's Word changes lives. You're not doing God a favor when you memorize the Scripture. Well, if I memorize this many Bible verses, will I earn brownie points in heaven? No. God has already given you all the brownie points you can get in the person of Jesus Christ. It is finished. But I will say this. You can deeply stir your affection for Christ and your enjoyment of his grace to experience life and life more abundantly, much more than you are right this moment by allowing the word of God to dwell in you richly. You're not doing God a favor. You're doing you a favor. And that's what these Bible-centered habits can accomplish in a lot. Now, in our conclusion, because we're going to be done, there are a lot of different methods to engaging the scriptures. We, we've talked about five of them. Bible reading, Bible study, Bible meditation, Bible preaching, talk about Bible memorization. I, I do want to say this. Be very, very important that you don't pick one that you're, <laughs> you're the person in here and you've got a photographic memory and like by next week you've memorized, memorized two books of the Bible and then you start looking down on everybody who didn't read, you know, memorize a verse last week. You want to be very, very careful not to use these spiritual disciplines as like some type of battering ram for everybody who doesn't do it exactly the way you do it. This is not an opportunity for us to be all become legalistic, self-righteous, and arrogant. These are for you to help stir up your affection and your love for Jesus. To, to create habits in your own family that stir up your heartbeat and your affection for Jesus, all right? Just look for ways to incorporate some of these habits into your life and let the Holy Spirit work in somebody else's life. And if you go out and buy all these books and, you know, somebody in your connection group Bible study doesn't do any of it, just, you know, don't worry about it. <laughs> let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit to them. 
and you just follow the Holy Spirit for you. It's not primarily about completing the ritual. I'm going to read my Bible this year and memorize 100 verses. I'm going to meditate for 15 hours, you know, and then I'm going to take some time to listen to, you know, 17, you know, Bible sermons this week. and things. It's not primarily about completing the ritual itself. It mainly is about developing the relationship with Jesus. That is the point. And to the degree that one of these things that are mentioned helps stir your love and affection for Jesus, that's how you know it's working. It's not working because you know more verses than everybody else in the church and you've read more of the Bible than everybody else in your connection group and you've meditated for more. That's not the point. The point is that you love Jesus more. That's, that's the point of this whole thing. So if you're doing all that and your affection and you're not experiencing abundant life and the fruit of the Spirit and joy radiating from your life, then you're missing something because the point is Jesus not checking something off your to-do list. You say, how do I know if it's working? Is your affection for Jesus more stirred? Are you enjoying him more because of these things? Are you experiencing grace in more deep and profound ways? That's how you know. And that's the purpose of these sacred rituals. Not to allow us to get proud or arrogant or puffed up, but to help us experience Christ in greater ways. So let me say this for the takeaway. Prioritize the Bible in your life and allow your affections for Jesus to be stirred up. Matthew 4 says this, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You need God's word to thrive as a believer. Read the Bible, study the Bible, memorize it, get Bible teaching, just get, ingest the Bible somehow, some way that works for you, ingest it. Why? Job 23 says, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. He literally said, I need God's word more than I need breakfast. I need the Bible more than breakfast. Like, this is such a big deal to him. That's, that's his hunger. He saw it as that which satisfied and fulfilled. Why? Because it made him feel more arrogant and proud. No, because it helped him to enjoy and to experience God's grace much more profoundly in his life. And that's the point of all this stuff, is to help you enjoy Jesus. But it's going to take part of faith, expectancy, believing that you're relating with the God of the universe, getting to know him and him crucified, that's, that's the point of all this. So read the Bible. And I'll say this, if you, if you can't read it for yourself, well, you know, I just, I read the Bible, I don't get nothing out of it. I just say that if you can't read it for yourself, husbands, will you, would you read the Bible for the sake of your spouse? <laughs> Because if you do it in faith, it'll change you and how you interact with them. If you can't, parents, if you, if you can't do it for yourself, do it for your kids. Employees, if you, if you can't do it for yourself, do it for your coworkers. Church member, if you can't do it for yourself, do it for those that you go to church with. Because God's word promises to change lives. So I leave you with this. How is it that the Spirit of God is leading you to engage the scripture in a more deep, around way? I'm not trying to be legalistic about this. I'm not trying to guilt trip. I'm just wanting you to enjoy Jesus more this week. I want you to experience his grace in much more profound ways this week. That's what, that's, you say, what's your motive in this? That's my motive, that your joy might be full. Because I look out on Sundays and there's just people and your joy's not full. There is no peace. The fruit of the Spirit's not evident. I'm not judging. I'm just saying that's what I want for you. I want your joy to be full. 
I want the fruit of the Spirit to be radiating through every pore of your life. And God gives us some ways that we can position our lives to experience the abundant grace of God. So I leave you with that question. In what way is the Spirit of God leading you to engage the Scripture, the transforming Word of God? And how are you going to make it a priority in your life this coming week? Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.